Hi everyone, it's Charles here, ready to share Chapter 1 of The Priory by A.D. Marr. In the first podcast, you heard three uh, threads that intertwine within the chapters that follow, eventually culminating in the crescendo that is The Priory. In this podcast, you will not only meet the central character, an aspirant by the name of Nolson and his good friend Joshua, but also some of the occasional undesirable characters as we get to better understand the goings-on within the Priory of Eleanor. Chapter 1. Sweat. The Priory of Eleanor, Green Finger Point. The yard rang with the sound of hammering metal. It was a cacophony of sound, not merely the rhythmic pounding of a blacksmith's hammer on a bar of heated iron meant for a cartwheel or a tool, or the beating of the cooper's mallet as he fashioned iron bracelet to gird the oak barrels he had crafted. Indeed, it was not even solely the soul of men training with mace and shield. It was, in total, a conglomeration of noise, the symphony created when craftsmen, labourers and armsmen all combined in an exertion that created a discordant harmony. And Nolson hated it. He trudged miserably across the yard, stepping carefully around the pools of dirty water and sticky mud, his sandaled feet slapping morosely in the muck. It did not really matter. The hem of his plain brown robes was already stained with the filth, as was the rest of him to some extent. One could not labour long in the priory and expect to remain clean. He was a young man and, and carried the look of one who had until recently been rather fat and then had lost too much weight. His skin was flabby and loose and, and seemed several sizes too large for him. Otherwise, he was shortish, with a heavy face and a tonsured head, protruding chins and misshapen nose, and because of it, no one had ever considered him good-looking. It had never worried him, however. Uh, he was ugly, and he happily accepted the fact. Well, maybe not happily, but he accepted it all the same. He had other traits which he considered more important. Skills, in fact ones that weren't as evident at first glance, particularly given that upon first glance, most people could not see past his appearance. Remind me once more why I chose to join the Sacellum, he said wearily to his companion Joshua, who loped along beside him, confident and buoyant. Don't ask me, replied Joshua airily, grinning at him. Why would you think that I know? He was a stark contrast to Nelson, good-looking to Nelson's ugly, blonde to his brown hair and tall to his short. He carried himself with confidence and vigour and had long been admired by the myriad of women in the Priory. I'm sure the Sasselim is grateful to have you, though whatever it is that you came um, to her for. Nelson snorted derisively. Well, I'm sure she is, especially since she has me locked away in Eleanor's Priory, where I'm required to spend my days up to my elbows in filth. It's good for you, suggested Joshua lightly. It toughens your character. How? asked Nelson, who actually stopped in his tracks and turned an incredulous look on his companion. How in Eleanor's name is mucking about in filth? good for me. Oh, I don't know, said Joshua with a smirk. I I'm sure if you ask someone in the Sasselum, though, they'll be able to tell you why. In case you've forgotten, Joshua, insignificant though you may be, you're a member of the Sasselum, Nelson observed, and I'm asking you. I meant someone else. I'm just a humble aspirant. They never tell me anything. Humble. Nelson snorted, raising one questioning eyebrow. Several young novices trotted past at that moment, their arms laden with cumbersome pails of goat's milk, fresh from the priory's dairy. 
The girls looked up at Joshua from under their clean white wimples and giggled at him. Joshua winked at them as they began to whistle tunelessly. That's not helping, you know, Nelson complained grumpily. Just because you've got no ear for music, the whistling became louder and more out of tune. For your information, said Nelson, grimacing at the sound, neither have you. I wasn't referring to that horrible sound you're making, however. The whistling stopped. Horrible? Joshua sounded offended. Well, if not that, then what? The girls, said Nelson, nodding at the young women who were busily gazing at his attractive friend. You shouldn't encourage them. Why not? asked Joshua, genuinely nonplussed. He looked over his shoulders at the novices and grinned at them. They giggled all the more. It makes their day. And gets them into trouble with the prioress, said Nelson exasperatedly. You know she doesn't allow fraternisation. You're only putting them into trouble. <laughs> only if we're seen, said Joshua matter-of-factly. It puts us in trouble as well. Joshua didn't agree. No, it doesn't, he said emphatically. Of course it does. You know what she's like, Nelson explained patiently. The prioress doesn't have to see you with her novices to suspect you. But why should you be concerned, asked Joshua. It's not you that's likely to get into trouble. Because the prioress distrusts all men, hates them in fact. You know what happened to her, Nelson reminded him. Yeah, I still can't believe that someone would rape that. Whether the old hag was raped or not is not the point. Do you think the prioress would discriminate between the two of us if you were caught? Asked Nelson exasperatedly. We'd both be for it. We're both men and she knows we're friends. Friends? Joshua asked, looking wide-eyed at him. Are we? And of course we're friends, said Nelson confidently. He suddenly turned to look at Joshua and certainly creeping into his voice. Aren't we? Well, when did that happen? From the first day you arrived here. Really? I don't remember. Oh, Nelson sighed wearily. The yard was quite large and in addition to the huge main buildings of the Priory itself was surrounded by many bustling outer structures. Closely ringing the space were the arms yard and the smithy, the Priory's dairy and a large two-storied stables. Several animal runs were clumped against one wall and were brimming with goats and pigs and various species of fowl. The animals hooted and squawked and, and grunted, and Nelson winced at the strident noise. Oh, give me the quiet of the liberus any day, he mused. Dodging past a trundling cart and its attendants, they made their way towards the far wall, reluctantly, in Nelson's case, to stand before the pens containing pigs and goats. I don't know about you, Joshua said gaily, but I positively cannot wait to get filthy this day. Do you have to be so damn jubilant all of the time, Nelson said, wincing as he looked at the dirty animals. What's the problem, Joshua asked, as a goat bleated loudly. Does it irritate you? You have no idea, said Nelson in a nasal voice. His fingers were now tightly closed over his nostrils. The ground was sudden, sodden, thick with mud and animal dung and smelt terrible. He needn't have bothered. An impressive stench still managed to pervade his senses. Other young men already toiled in the filth, shoveling dung and filling the feeding troughs. Their robes, like Nelson's, were largely dirty, especially the hems which dangled in the muck as they worked. Nelson could feel the sticky mass clinging between his toes from where they stuck out of the end of his sandals. He grimaced in disgust. A bath would be nice, he mused wistfully, as he and Joshua picked their way across the pen to gather their tools. From where did you acquire such a taste for luxuries? Nelson snorted. 
I hardly think a bath now and then is a luxury. He stepped closer to his friend and sniffed loudly. Speaking of which, when was the last time you bathed? It's almost winter. No one bathes in winter, Joshua observed with an ostentatious flick of his hair. And anyway, I find bathing altogether unnecessary. Nolson looked his friend up and down, noting the collected filth and dirt which stained his robes. I'm sure the girls who frequent your company don't see it that way. Oh, they've never voiced a complaint, said Joshua defensively. He looked so obtuseously down at his clothing and, and wincing turned his face towards his shoulder and unobtrusively snipped his own armpit. Oh, he coughed. See, said Nolson with a smirk. He collected a rusty, short-handled spade and handed a, a nather to his companion. Eleanor only knows how the Prior's women have survived their encounters with you. Well, excuse me. Joshua was clearly offended now. I'm quite sure you smell just as bad. Which is exactly why I want a bath, suggested Nelson. And besides, no girl ever frequents my company the way they do yours, so I'm not in danger of offending anyone. Oh, they returned to the pens and stood for a moment, observing the frenetic activity of animals and young men. Hoofs and trotters and sandaled feet slopped about in the mess, and the noise and stench were now almost overpowering. Joshua asked through gritted teeth, Pigs or goats? Nelson cast his eye over the pens, frowning as he mused. Both lots of animals were equally soiled, although, if it were possible, the pig pens seemed to smell worse. Many of them were lined at a long, low trough and were snorting with pleasure as they scoffed greedily. One of the grunters, a large pink and black monstrosity called Brutus, raised his greedy snout and turned beady eyes on Nelson. Grain and muddy grass hung from his moor, and large clumps of tacky dung clung to his skin. Goats, Nelson said, adding decisively, definitely the goats. Right then, said Joshua, who had observed the challenging glare coming from the large pig. Goats it is. He was privately grateful that Nelson had chosen thus. For most of the morning they trudged through the ankle-deep muck, digging out clumps of goat dung with their shovels and placing it in rusted pails. It was dull work, made all the more miserable by the dirt and reek. Nelson's feet clung to the sodden sludge and he irritably shook his sandals to free some of the slurry from between his toes. It was remarkably sticky and it took a concerted effort to dislodge. With a final petulant grumble, he kicked his foot in a wide arc, spraying his fellows with mud and manure, which earned him some frosty glares from those closest to him. Unfortunately, and not by design, a large clump flew through the chilled air towards the neighbouring pen and then landed with a splat on the fleshy rump of Brutus the pig. The animal grunted with surprise and then charged madly about the pen, knocking postulants out of the way as he madly fought to escape whatever it was that had assaulted him. Other pigs squealed in terror and bolted as Brutus crashed through a wicker fence and upturned the grain barrel. Joshua laughed openly at the scene, the wildly dashing animals and the muddy, anxious postulants chasing after them. After a moment, Nelson chuckled appreciatively too, until a snorting pig crashed into the goat pen and darted between his legs, causing him to slip and fall, landing with a resounding splat on his soft behind. Joshua helped him to his feet with a wide grin on his face. She really will need a bath soon. Nelson sniffed in disgust. Nearby, several young novices sat on wooden stools under a low, low shed and milked a small herd of bleating goats. Nelson could occasionally hear giggling and other nervous titters emanating from the women. He knew they would be casting sly glances at his friend as they worked. Joshua's reputation among the novices of the Priory was far-reaching. 
Indeed, on more than one occasion, he noticed Joshua smiling slyly at the girls, at which the giggling only increased. You're encouraging them again, Nolson said, as sweat ran down his misshapen nose. I have no idea what you're talking about, Joshua continued to dig in the muck. Nelson suppressed a derisive snort, shaking his head at his friend. Joshua was incredible. Nelson stood for a moment and stretched his back, and then bent once more to his labour. The effort seemed to last an eternity to Nelson, and there seemed no end to the filthiness. The horrid little animals were so dirty. His back ached, and his arms were sore, and his nostrils were assailed by the constant stink. When the priory bells finally rang noon, he looked up in complete surprise. It's only midday, he observed morosely, leaning tiredly against his shovel. Is that all? It feels like we've been at this for a lifetime. I would have thought you would be used to this by now, said Joshua. It's not like you've never laboured in the pens before. The bells continued to peal. And Eleanor's nose, but I hate that sound. The bells? Joshua asked, frowning a little and glancing at the bell tower. I've always liked them myself, particularly given it means we're now due in the arms yard. Oh, Eleanor's breath, I forgot, Nelson moaned plaintively. Not the arms yard, please, not that. I think I'd rather stay here than having to face you in an arms again. Joshua chuckled as he took Nelson's spade and stowed them both in the small storage shed. Come on, we're going to be late. I don't care, said Nelson stubbornly. You will if the armsmaster notices you're late. At that, Nelson unwillingly followed Joshua from the pens, muttering to himself about not wanting to be noticed at all. He dragged his feet across the dirty yard towards a gaggle of postulants and aspirants who were trading blows under the watchful eyes of the armsmaster, Esgar. Nelson eyed him warily as they approached. The armsmaster had a hard, round face and a reputation that matched. Esgar did not suffer the incompetent, nor did he suffer fools, and he had made it plain on a number of occasions that he did not suffer Nolson, whom, he apparently felt, were both. "'You're late, Nolson,' Esgar growled as they approached. The aspirant observed irritably that the gruff older man hadn't even glanced at Joshua. "'Told you,' muttered Joshua under his breath." Our apologies, armsmaster, Nelson managed to, to murmur in a low voice. What kept you? Esgar grunted in annoyance. With a grin, Joshua answered for his companion. Uh, the goats were a little over-enthusiastic, armsmaster, he added, gesturing at Nelson's grubby robes. We had mountains of manure to move this day. Several of the younger postulants snickered from where they stood behind the armsmaster's girth. Esgar looked critically at Nelson, grimacing at the manure embedded in the young man's robes. What in Eleanor's name have you been doing, aspirant? Rolling in it? Nelson shrugged uncomfortably. It wasn't his fault the gulch produced so much excrement. The postulants only laughed harder at his embarrassment. Esgar turned and silenced him with a stern glance. Many of the young men immediately began shuffling uncomfortably and examining their toes. Well, now that you've finally decided to grace us with your presence, you might as well get dressed, the armsmaster grunted, nodding over his shoulder towards the armoury. And you'd better not get any of that crap on the mail, he added warningly, or I'll have you cleaning armour all night. Nelson scowled as Joshua led them towards the armoury. Looking at the state of his robes, the chance of befouling the armour was extremely likely. Eleanor's bloody nose, he grumbled in a low voice. And don't dally in there, added Esgar menacingly. You're both next. Nelson heard some muttering from the assembled young men as he and Joshua made their way inside to get their ring mail and weapons. He sighed resignedly to himself. They're talking about me, he acknowledged. I just know it. 
Nolson was not popular with his peers, not like Joshua was. Try as he might, he had found few friends since coming to the Priory. People just don't seem to like me. In his time there, he had been the butt of much in the way of laughter and scorn, and many of his protagonists whispered constantly behind his back. It had started with his obesity, and the observation on his girth had been both varied and cruel. Since he had lost weight, the jives had largely concerned his many ineptitudes. Nolson had never decided which of the insults was worse. I just know I'm going to make a fool of myself again, he said to his taller companion. Yeah, probably, agreed his friend affably. And you'll make me look even better because of it. Joshua turned and smirked at Nolson. And in case I forget to tell you later, you have my thanks for that, by the way. Yeah, you're welcome, huffed Nolson. He didn't mean it. They took mail shirts from hooks on the stone wall and slipped them over their heads. Ugh, Nelson muttered as his own jingled loudly. I don't think I'll ever get used to the smell. He tugged fiercely at the metal garment and it slid reluctantly down over his robe. These stink worse than the pens. So would you if hundreds of sweaty postulants had worn you over and over for centuries, said Joshua. His own ringmail shirt slid down his body with ease. There were several noticeable rust spots on the armour. Nolson held his arms out. The shirt was several sizes too big for him and it dangled uncomfortably about his knees. He could barely see his hands. The sleeves were so long. I think I've lost more weight, he said, eyeing his stomach, which no longer protruded from under the armour. Actually, you have, agreed Joshua, looking at him critically. I'm positively wasting away, Nelson observed mournfully. You're still ugly, though. Oh, thanks a lot, Joshua, Nelson grimaced at his body. Seriously, I can't afford to lose much more weight. Look at me, it's literally falling off. It must be the wonderful victuals the Priory offers. You'd call the food day service here wonderful, asked Nolan incredulously. Eleanor's bid, you're more of a fool than I thought. Hey, said Joshua, pretending to be offended. I'm being slowly starved, Nelson complained, and no one here seems to care. Why would you expect any of them to care, asked Joshua matter-of-factly. You're a crofter's son who can read and write. You know that only makes them all jealous. It's not my fault, said Nelson, tugging at his armour to seat it more comfortably on his thinning frame. Well, yes it is, Joshua said, simply said, and most of them hate you because of it. Do you? asked Nelson in a small voice. Not all of the time, admitted Joshua candidly, causing Nelson to wince. Unlike most of the others, at least I've got some skills that you don't, he added with a sly grin. As I'm about to demonstrate to your discomfort, I'm sure. If I don't get some decent food in me and soon, I won't even have the strength to stand up in this armour. Nelson patted his stomach sadly. You'll live, said Joshua with a smirk. Well, at least as long as it takes for me to beat the stuffing out of you. That's my whole point. There's no more stuffing left in me. Besides, Joshua added, reviewing his own ringmail and nodding happily, I'm sure you had plenty of food on your father's croft. You've done enough eating in your life. A bit of starvation will probably do you good. Joshua pulled a large shield down from the wall and handed it to Nelson, who immediately struggled under its weight. Don't collapse just yet, said Joshua, grinning at him. I haven't even given you your mace. Nelson grunted as he shifted the cumbersome armour on his arm. It dug in painfully and the metal of his ringmail shirt bit him through the robes. Oh, for Eleanor's sake, he snapped irritably. He was fast losing patience with it all. Joshua hefted his own shield easily. Watching him, Nelson shook his head with some rather obvious envy. Are you ready for your beating? Joshua asked him casually. As they each took a mace from a rack near the door, he began humming tunelessly to himself as he ran his fingers over the blunt-headed weapon. No, Nelson replied emphatically, I most certainly am not. His own mace weighed heavily on his arm. That's good, said Joshua, grinning. Joshua? 
Nossum was pleading now. You know, I've always liked the arms yard, Joshua said airily, striding with a steady jaunt from the armory. It's the one place where your ability to read and write can't help you, Nossum. I can think of plenty of other places in the Priory where my ability to read and write can't help me, replied Nolson in a defeated voice. He was going to get a beating, and he knew it. And to make matters worse, it was going to happen in front of a lot of other people. If there was one thing of which he was certain, it was that his protagonists most definitely did not need any further opportunities to observe his many ineptitudes. That may well be the case, but this is the only one of those where I can thump you into the ground, said Joshua casually, and make myself look good at the same time. Esgar already likes you, said Nolson plaintively, scurrying about beside him. Can't you go easy on me just this once? We're supposed to be friends. It's not my fault if you think that, said Joshua, leading the way back to the armsmaster. The air was definitely colder as they joined a large group of young postulants and aspirants who had made a ring around the arms yard. The two combatants who were beating ineffectually at each other in the circle were sweating heavily by now. Their bodies steamed in the afternoon air as the arms master barked commands at them. Esgar, noticing Nolson and Joshua's arrival, gestured abruptly at the pair of postulants in the circle to finish. They immediately dropped their shields and stood there gratefully, heads bowed and breathing heavily. Mist erupted from their mouths in billows as Joshua and Nolson made their way into the ring to replace them. Right then, you two, said Esgar curtly. Let's try not to kill each other if we can help it, eh? The group of young men tittered nervously at that and then stilled when Esgar fixed them with another harsh stare. Without warning, Joshua swung. Nolson stepped as quickly as his weak body would allow as the mace descended towards his head, narrowly missing him. His mail shirt jingled with the effort. Again it came at him, and then again, and each time he only just managed to avoid being brained. If Nolson hated the incessant noise and all-pervading hoders of the Priory's yard, he hated this more. Joshua, he squeaked as his companion's weapon clanged off his shield. His arm shook with the blow. Joshua grinned insolently at him and quickly attacked once more, forcing Nolson back until he stumbled against the ring of young men. Rough hands pushed him back into the circle. Esgar nodded approvingly. Alana's beard, Nolson exclaimed, almost out of breath. Are you trying to kill me, Joshua? His tall and broad-shouldered opponent simply smirked and raised his iron mace for another attack. Joshua even had the gall to look fresh despite the gruelling effort. Good, Joshua, Esker barked. His dark eyes were piercing as they watched. He stood with his arms crossed and a hand on his chin, fingers gripping the side of his pudgy face in concentration. The shaggy black side whiskers which climbed towards his ears made his face seem brutish. What? asked Nolson, looking incredulously at the housemaster. I thought you said not to kill each other. Nolson heard the whistle of the mace as it descended towards him once again, and he ducked just in time. Joshua's weapon swung over his tonsured head, and he felt the wind brush past his ear. Alana's damned breath. Pay attention, aspirant, Esgar growled, frowning heavily. The rebuke was to be expected. In fact, Nolson could not really expect anything else, whilst he had never actually seen Esgar smile, expecting one or anything positive, in fact, especially now while he was floundering under Joshua's relentless attack, was a fool's hope. Ha! sneered one of the bystanders in a voice Nolson thought he recognised. He's not so smart now, is he? Some of the others laughed mercilessly. 
Perhaps a book might be better weapon for him, suggested another postulant unkindly. Or an ink pot. Nelson cringed under the next onslaught, momentarily put off by the catcalls from the ring of young men. He halted and glanced at the assembled aspirants and postulants. They were all smirking and sneering. Why don't you pull out your quill and stick him in the eye, jeered another in a particularly malicious tone. Nelson winced. He knew who had spoken his, him. His name was Silas. He was solid with black hair and a sharp, angular look to his face, which housed mismatched eyes, brown and blue, and a malevolent stare to boot. Nelson groaned, and then gasped as Joshua's weapon clanged off his shield. Oh, it's not fair, not Silas, not this day, not him too. That was all Nelson needed. He shook his arm ruefully, the better to shake off the pain from the blow. If he doesn't kill you, my aged grandmother should be able to, Silas added cruelly, holding his own weapon nonchalantly on his shoulder and not so patiently waiting his own turn. Nelson knew he was very good with it too, having been beaten soundly by it on any number of occasions when Esgar had paired him to fight. Alana's faded robes. But you're useless with a Nelson, a weapon Nelson, he sneered. The other standing with him guffawed sycophantically, but none more than his lurking friends, Bortram and Jarve. Bortram was tall, large and menacing, while Jarve was weasel-like and furtive. Both of them stank. Silas's lieutenants had a rather strong aversion to bathing, even more so than Joshua, if that were possible. Nelson tried his best to ignore them all. It was cold and his breath wafted out in front of his face like a thin fog. The days had often been bitter of late. Winter was surely approaching. The clouds above spoke of a storm approaching and by their colour it would be something fierce. Maybe even snow would fall. Despite the chill, Nelson was sweating profusely, great fat rivulets cascading down his reddened cheek as he huffed and moved his sandal-clad feet heavily in the sodden muck that made up the yard's ground. Some sweat had run into his eyes too, and they stung viciously, making it difficult to see. Nelson winced in pain, watching his opponent warily through his watering, slitted eyes. He whimpered as the mace came at him again. Alana, save me! He ducked, closing his eyes in fright, weakly bearing his shield before him in defence. Nelson's arms were shaking with the effort of holding the cumbersome armour up now. The shield rang loudly when the head of the mace hit, scoring the face of the metal with a deep rent. Silas laughed openly at this, drawing his lieutenants into peals of mirth. Is there nothing you can do well, Nelson? he jeered scornfully. Truly there has never been a worse armsman. Again, demanded the armsmaster, eyeing the combatants with a stern visage. Do it right this time, Nelson, or you'll stand watch for a week, he barked in his rumbling voice. I am trying, Nelson pleaded. Then try with the incompetent, without the incompetence, Eskar growled, which drew a general peal of laughter from the assembled throng. As much as the admonition stung, Nelson knew it for truth. He was incompetent, there was no denying it. But it isn't with weapons that I chose to serve Alana, he remembered, as he readied himself for the next attack. Joshua's mace whistled as it suddenly careened towards him. Nelson ducked and the weapon sailed above his head. For a moment, Nelson knelt in the muck, sweating and breathing heavily. Silas naturally found that deeply entertaining. No armsmanship was definitely not Nelson's calling. That much was obvious to anyone with a pair of eyes. But there were many other ways for one such as Nelson to give service to the Sicellum of Alinor. Indeed, even this priory, being but one small part of the entire Sicellum, required a multitude of people with a multitude of skills for it to function effectively. 
Those that farmed the land were needed, of course, as, as the many inhabitants of the priory needed food. Blacksmiths and other craftsmen were also a necessity. How else could the priory repair tools, make weapons or build furniture? Healers were in demand to care for the sick and injured who came to the priory's hospice for help. Those individuals skilled in cooking or maintaining a large scullery were important as well, vital even, for the vast inhabitants of this edifice had to eat. Other men of proficiency were also required, coopers, wheelwrights, brewers and vintners, bankers, bakers, and naturally, given the priory and the Sicilian were monuments to Eleanor and his compassionate teachings, those who were in possession of a pious nature most highly sought after. But Nolson had none of these skills. Oh, it could be said that he was pious, surely. He regularly attended benedictions in the Sicilian's inner sanctum or the chantry and listened attentively, if not always with rapt attention, when the old abbot himself or the stern prioress offered up supplications to Eleanor. To date, and, and something for which he was internally grateful, he had never actually been requested to offer a benediction. That was an honour usually reserved for the most pious or the most senior in the Sicilian, and he was neither. He did believe in the teachings of Eleanor, though, deeply, in fact, although he knew in his heart that the Sicilian had not accepted him into the ranks to serve due to how devout he may or may not have been. He believed he was a good person, he did care about people after all, and that was something, wasn't it? Well, maybe not all people, he thought with a quick glance at Silas, but certainly most. And wasn't that at the heart of the teachings of Eleanor? But there were many more aspirants, and indeed postulants, adepts and prelates, he felt, who were far more fervent in their belief. And certainly he knew his way around a scullery. That was well known and a well-publicised fact. One merely had to glance at Nolson's belly when he had first arrived at the Priory to understand that. Unfortunately, Nolson's competencies in this area related more to the eating and critiquing of food rather than its preparation. He had often been heard to comment, typically along with a great deal of disdain or scorn, on the culinary skills of the Priory's master cook, Caractacus. In doing so, Nolson felt he was keeping up his end of the bargain in return for sharing his rather large appetite with the Sicilian and his brethren. He had noted out loud, and on more than one occasion, his opinion that Eleanor, in fact, did not have an endless supply of servants on hand that they could afford to be exposing them so regularly to the dangers of the food prepared in Caractacus's kitchen. The amount of time he had spent since cleaning pots and fireplaces in the scullery testified to how Caractacus had taken to that. But in the end, all of these assembled people and skills were used merely to support the priory and all those who lived and laboured within its walls. The most vital and therefore rare abilities required by the edifice, however, were held by those literate few, those who could read and write. For over 900 years, the main purpose of the priory had been the scribing and collection of the history and teachings of Eleanor, and it was a mammoth undertaking. A large gallery of books and venerable tomes dedicated to that subject lay in Libris, directly beneath Nolson's feet, and it was within that very chamber that Nolson could display his only real accomplishments, however meagre. Regardless of these abilities, as part of his initiation into the Sicilian and his ongoing duties, Nolson was also required to work under all the myriad tradesmasters and craftsmasters within the priory. Farming, carpentry, blacksmithing and the stables, to name a few. To say that he had not excelled at any of these others was not overstating the situation, or that at least was how each of the masters had referred to Nolson's capabilities when asked to report to the others in the prelature. And regrettably for Nolson, his armsmanship was no different. Armsmaster Esgar had probably been his worst critic of all. 
but, but disliked the labour as he did, Nelson did not have a choice. Like all other aspirants and postulants, it was necessary for him to train in the martial arts for the Priory's self-defence. In its history, there had been a number of instances, well documented of course, in which the Priory had had to protect itself. And Nelson, like the other men in the Priory, could be called upon to aid in her defence if so required. Only Sarabites were exempt from this. The soundless brothers were a sect within the Sicellum, and in their piety and utter devotion to Eleanor, they held a vow of silence for their entire lives. Nelson had seen them often within the Priory, moving together in packs, their cows raised and hands held together within their voluminous sleeves in silent supplication. It had been deemed long before that servants so pious should never have to raise their hands against another. Once or twice, Nelson had even contemplated joining their ranks, if only to avoid the arduous toil of armed combat. It hadn't taken him long, however, to realise that a life without talking was entirely more gruesome than avoiding some sweat, pain and humiliation in the arms yard. Identifying those who could effectively wield a weapon on behalf of the Sicellum was of vital for its survival as ensuring the crops were harvested or that ale and meal had been brewed um, in sufficient quantities to meet both the demand of the Priory's prelature and that of the towns and villages nearby. Despite Nelson's obvious lack of skill, it was still necessary for him to learn the basics, something that caused both he and Esgar tremendous amounts of frustration. Nelson, because of the suffering he went through, without ever having come close to displaying even a modicum of skill, and Esgar, because he had better things to accomplish, and better people to accomplish them with. Joshua again lunged at Nelson, and the huffing aspirant barely managed to deflect the blow with his shield. Joshua's mace skidded on the smooth surface, screeching loudly, and the taller aspirant stumbled. "'What are you waiting for?' demanded Eskar suddenly, spittle flew, flying from his lips as he yelled. He was pointing a gnarled finger at Nelson. "'He just gave you an opening!' "'A what?' asked Nelson dazedly, shaking his arm and, and testing to see if any bones were broken. Nelson had felt the blow through the thick metal and his muscles, muscles were going to ache for days, he knew. The armsmaster shook his head angrily. You've missed your calling, you know. You should have been a cerebite, Nelson. If the Priory was attacked and it was you who were defending us, we'd all be overrun by the time you lifted your mace. Silas chortled. "'Well, you may laugh, Silas,' said Esgar ominously, slowly turning to glare at him. "'You're next!' Nelson felt a little better after that. And so he fought. He stepped and ducked and weaved and defended himself, and then ducked and weaved some more as his lungs screamed in torment, and his infinitely more competent opponent continued his barrage of attack, never relenting. Nelson's breath now came in gasps, his chest working like saggy bellows. The sweat rolled from him in a constant stream, his robes stuck to him across his back and on his belly, and the thin fabric was stained where the moisture had soaked through. "'Can you not even manage a single strike?' Esgar asked in contempt. Nelson turned to look at him, and then Joshua's mace connected with his own twisting his arm and sending his weapon flying across the yard. Oh, Alaner's balls, snarled the armsmaster in disgust. Nelson cupped his wrist gingerly, holding it to his chest. The bystanders, led by Sila, hooted in glee as Nelson's clumsiness, slapping their weapons and each other's backs in mirth. Ha! Go back to the Libris, sneered one of Silas's lieutenants. You don't belong here. Nelson hung his head. He was red with embarrassment. Oh, you're done, Esgar growled at Nelson. He pointed at the fallen weapon. Pick it up and get out of my sight, he spat, dismissing him scornfully. 
I'm ready to fight now, arms master, suggested Silas, stepping forward confidently. Try me. He was holding his weapon before him, slapping the hard mace into his palm. Bortram clapped loudly and Jarve patted his shoulder in support. Silas was well liked. Well, by those two at least. The master considered him for a moment, his eyes narrowed. All right, I will try you, Silas, he said after a while. Silas moved forward eagerly until something nasty appeared on Esgar's brutish face. That stopped him cold. Yes, Silas, you can try to clean the rust spots from the ringmail in the armoury. You're dismissed as well. No one laughed at that. As Bortram and Jarve were called to fight, Nolson trudged across the ground with his spirits low and retrieved the fallen mace. Despite Silas being put in his place, it was hard to be elated. He felt he had done better. In fact, he had held his own for some time before being disarmed. But it was true, despite his better efforts, he had not managed a single attacking strike against Joshua. He simply did not know how. Esgar had chosen Joshua as his opponent purposefully, Nelson thought. How else could he make me look the fool? He sighed. He thought Joshua might have gone a little easier on him, but despite his request, Joshua had led an all-out attack. Perhaps there was a, a minor comfort, though. At least Nelson would not be called upon to defend the Priory if it was set upon. No one in their right mind would, would let me hold a mace in defence. Small mercy be for all, to be sure, he thought. A thickening breeze blew, fluttering faded canopies and tattered pennants and his brown hair alike, bringing with it the salty tang of the nearby sea. Dark clouds raced overhead as it swept across the ground, billowing and biting as it moved, its chill breath snaking into the narrow crevices between the stones, ruffling the thin, dark robes worn by the various postulants and novices who laboured within the massive edifice. Many shivered as it passed, hugging their clothing more closely to their bodies or stepping nigh to iron braziers where coals or peat sat smoking in warm silence. Into the yard it flowed, darting this way and then that, clawing through open doors and billowing the grey smoke rising from the fire pits that ring the outer wall. Men and women huddled against the cold, working in silence or, or watching the efforts of others, and held cups' hands to their mouths as they blew warm breath to restore life to their fingers. A storm was coming, and indeed, at that moment, drops of rain began to fall. Nelson returned his weapon to the rack and wiped his damp face with the sleeve of his filthy robe. He struggled out of his mail shirt, holding the smelly metal garment away from him as he looked at his sweat-darkened clothing. Small patches of rust were evident on the fraying material. The wind was already turning the dampness cold. He stowed the ringmail on a peg mounted in the armoury and stood stretching for a moment. He was going to be sore for days. He groaned audibly. Outside he could hear the melee, postulants hacking at each other under the watchful gaze of the armsmaster. He shivered. You're doing better, Nelson, said a vibrant voice suddenly. He turned slowly and painfully and saw Joshua. His friend was shrugging his own mail shirt over his tonsured head. Yes, well, thank you for the compliment, Joshua, Nelson replied facetiously, tenderly touching his wrist, and for the humiliation. I'm sorry if I hurt you, said Joshua. He even sounded contrite. I'm sure you didn't mean it, said Nelson, accepting the apology. He suddenly frowned and then looked at Joshua more closely. You didn't mean it, did you? he asked suspiciously. Joshua chuckled, shaking his head. 
You are getting better, though. I, I thought you were even ready to manage to strike at me there for a moment. It would have been pathetic, of course, but a strike all the same. A small smile appeared on Nolson's face. Well, we both know, both know that, measured against Esgar's expectations and your capabilities, my efforts will never be good enough. Probably, agreed the younger man affably. The shirt jingled as he hung it on a peg and then straightened his robes, which, like Nolson's, were now damp with perspiration, although much less so. Brawling came a lot easier to one of Joshua's stature. Does it hurt? Nolson sighed, knuckling his back uh, now with cracked alarming, which cracked alarmingly. Not too much. I'm, I'm sure I'll live. Oh, let's hope so, replied the taller man with a grin. Life would be rather boring without you about. Well, I'm sure you'd have better sport with some other poor sod to pair with. Aye, I would, said Joshua with a nod. But as I said, no one else makes me look as good. He grinned insolently. Nolson shook his head in frustration. If I had my way, we both know where I would prefer to spend my days. Joshua chuckled. Yes, the liberous, and not just because you're, you're so learned when compared to the rest of us, his ready grin widened. Oh, asked Nolson innocently, why else? I expect that the other reason you would prefer to mark your time away from the arms yard is that a startlingly pretty young adept we both know occasionally labours in the liberous alongside of you. Nolson reddened, reddened suddenly. Joshua laughed as he hit the mark. Perhaps you might be in a good, put in a good word for me. Why would she show either of you any attention, said a sneering voice suddenly from the other side of the armoury. Silas had crept in and was peering menacingly at them across the racks of weapons and armour. Aren't you supposed to be cleaning armour, Silas? suggested Joshua, pointing at his discarded ringmail shirt. Silas's face contorted in anger, and he kicked savagely at the stand, sending several male coists falling to the timber floor. "'Looks like you made a mess, old boy,' observed Joshua, who had stepped back quickly. He dabbed a dirty toe at a pile of ringmail near his feet. "'Master Esgar will be rather displeased, don't you think? These are even dirtier now.' You'll get yours, said Silas in a low voice. His matched eyes were cold and malicious when you least suspect it. You as well, Nolson. No, we won't, Silas, replied Joshua evenly. He was taller than the other aspirant, if barely. Because you'll be a good boy, won't you? He smiled sweetly. Now clean up this mess and then do us all a favour and scarper off back to your uncle's castle. Joshua placed his hand on his shoulder and steered Nolson from the armory. Nolson could feel Silas's anger from across the room as they left. By the time they returned to the yard, it was raining heavily, which to Nolson only made it all the more miserable. Outside, the aspirants who had been training with the armsmaster now stood under a dripping canopy while they gawked at a commotion near the gates. Even Esgar had moved under cover and was looking on. There was no sense sending metal armour to rust by standing irresponsibly in the rain. Joshua squeezed his thin frame under the canopy, but there was no room for Nolson and he was forced to stand in the shower. He raised his cowl to cover his head and then stood on his toes to see, shielding his eyes from the cold downpour with one soft hand. It didn't really help. Cold water dripped from his hair into his eyes and then ran down his cheeks, leaving dirty streaks on his skin. Near the main gate, a small crowd of postulants and cerebites had gathered around a rather worn-looking old man, comforting him. He was kneeling in the muck, holding a bundle and sobbing. One of them quickly broke away from the group. He was a tall cerebite, Nolson saw. His robes were trimmed with scarlet on hem and sleeves. He strode purposely towards the priory buildings with the small bundle held softly against his chest. The others gently supported the worn-looking man as they led him into the priory. 
out of the rain and cold and into the warmth within. He was stumbling, yet seemed to follow them benignly. One of the crofters most like, observed Joshua, who being taller was afforded a better view of the disturbance. Several of the other aspirants nodded sagely. Well, whoever it is and whatever their need, said Nelson, wiping the rain from his face, they're in good hands. They most certainly are, agreed Joshua, patting Nelson heavily on the back, as long as they're not yours, brother. Priory of Alinor, deepest catacombs. The stairs were steep. They descended into the earth, burrowing down a narrow crevice between two solid rock walls, winding and twisting. Following the path, the figure moved slowly, carefully picking his way down the incline. At the base of the steps, he turned, turning towards a dank tunnel which led deeper into the labyrinth. The man's torch bobbed above, lighting the grey stone that made up the walls and the arched ceiling overhead. Water glistened in patches, allowing dark fungi to grow, making the air dank and stale. The slapping of sandal leather on the stone and the swish of coarse robes were the only sounds. The figure shuffled with shoulders hunched under one arm, a small, weakly, squirming bundle stirred. Ahead in the gloom was a door. It was thick and old and bound with pitted iron straps. The heavy timber was dark with age and above, in the stone lintel, an intricate shape had been carved into the rock. The individual halted at the portal and placed the torch in any empty iron sconce that was mounted on the stone wall. A hand extended from within the scarlet-lined voluminous robes and drew a curious sign in the smoky air. The engraved symbol in the cornerstone glowed with a deep and feral light. The door swung smoothly inwards, neither creaking nor groaning, considering its age. The room beyond was not large. It was lined with mouldy black draperies, their hems swathed on the floor's flagstones. More lit torches were set in iron sconces on a number of fat stone pillars, and a thin pall of smoke hung under the ceiling. In the centre of the room sat a stone dais, stepped and rectangular in dimension, and crowned with a stone altar from which hung a large black cloth. Another hooded and robed figure already knelt before the altar, head bowed and swaying lightly. I have the first, said the newcomer in a deep voice. He placed a small moving bundle on the stone dais before kneeling and joined his companion. Together they paid homage to the lifelike carving that lay in the exact centre of the slab. It was a skull an unadorned, bleached white in colour, human-sized and perfectly proportioned. To either side of the skull sat thick, dark red candles, lit and heavy with encrusted wax. They were flickering in the small flowers of air the two kneeling supplicants created as they undulated before the dais. We offer this death to you, Master, intoned one, in honour of your name and the power you have bequeathed your servants. The tiny bundle on the altar kicked irritably at the sound of their voices, and the rags fell away, exposing the minute form of a newborn girl. Her skin was blue, and around her neck lay a deep bruise. Waken now, one asked of the skull. Awake! The two began to chant, slowly and quietly at first, yet building in power as they moved. In answer, the skull on the dais seemed to hear their call to rouse, with a feeble light that stirred in the depths of its eye sockets. As the intensity of the chant increased, so did the illumination, until a malevolent force emanated in waves from the artefact. 
One of the figures rose then, a long silver knife held tightly in a fist. The chant continued, building, rising, keening, and the pair swayed in a primal rhythm, their forms flowing gracefully as they beheld the mounting power growing in the depths of the idol before them. The skull watched expectantly, hungrily. Death, they cried as one. The dagger flashed once, then, diving rapidly towards the young form, sinking deep within her flesh. Then all was still. So, now we have a better understanding of life in the Priory. We've met Nolson, Joshua, not to mention a few undesirables. However, more importantly, we've received a brief insight that in amongst the daily shifting of manure and occasional violent confrontation amidst the cold winds and rain, not all is as it seems in, among and below the Priory of Eleanor. So to find out what happens over the next 500 pages, please contact the author direct at anthony at fauvemc, that's F-A-U-V-E-M-C, dot com, who will mail you your very own signed copy of the Priory for the very affordable price of $29.95 plus postage. I can assure you that Nelson, Joshua, and the many characters you'll meet along the way will keep you enthralled with what happens next. They certainly did with me. Enjoy! Enjoy!